weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Thanks for the Johnny's. It's Thursday the 2nd of February and this is Game On. Coming up today, risk versus reward. The GAA and Eddie Hearn differ over Katie fighting in Crow Park. In rugby, we'll hear from Andy Farrell and Bernard Jackman on Ireland's team to face Wales in the Six Nations opener in Cardiff. Jay Mangan and Don McLean will preview this weekend's Dublin Racing Festival as eight Grade 1 races await at Leopardstown. Plus, we'll hear from Jeff Shepard on the second going of Tom Brady. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. On 2FM. Uh, Don McLean uh, joins me here in studio. Don, we have a lot to get through today, but the racing is going to take centre stage because it's a huge weekend um, this weekend with the Dublin Racing Festival and it's one that just keeps getting bigger and better every year. Yeah, like it's it's hard to believe, Marie, that it's only 2018. That was the inaugural running of the Dublin Racing Festival. It used to be that they had three meetings after Christmas. They had the Pierce Hurdle or the Ladbroke Hurdle meeting in early January, then the Irish Champion Hurdle was in late January and then the Irish Gold Cup meeting was in early February. But they put them all together in 2018 and it really has worked. It's really got a it's got a great position now in the calendar. Mm-hmm. It's been ingrained into people's psyche and I suppose the fact that it comes up kind of halfway between the Christmas festivals and the Cheltenham festival, it's a good stepping stone and it's kind of the timing of it is such that you can run at Christmas and then at the Dublin Racing, Dublin Racing Festival and then go to Cheltenham as well. So as you say, eight grade one races, 15 races. Yeah, it should be a hell of a weekend. So is there somebody sitting back patting themselves on the back <laughs> on, this was a great idea by me? Oh yeah, no, it was um, it was put together, HRI and the race courses got involved and um, I suppose that's that's the way sports going, isn't it? It's kind of like the big the big events there, the ones mm-hmm. that draw the crowds yeah. and draw the, draw the attention. So <clears throat> you had like the Irish Gold Cup for example, it was kind of around about the 10th of February, 11th of February, uh, depending on how it fell at the weekend. And then the Irish Champion Hurdle was a few weeks earlier. And then the the Oracle and the PJ Moriarty, uh, or so now the Ladbrokes Novice Chase, the, the Dublin Chase, well, actually the Dublin Chase was the Tide Cottage Chase, which was, which was run at Punchestown, and that's come back into it. So it's just getting these top-class races with the prize money that's going to attract the top-class horses and just make it a, a feast of racing, yeah. I think as well, people love being Cheltenham experts when it comes around. So this gives you a little chance to kind of cog and to to, to catch up on study notes and sound knowledgeable by the time Cheltenham comes around. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And Yeah, that's it. And um, like a lot of the horses that are going to be running over the weekend, trainers and owners will have an eye on Cheltenham with them. But, you know, it, and it can be... A, a ra- you know it can be a meeting at which horses can run and then go on to Cheltenham but it's a it's a brilliant meeting on its own you mm-hmm. know it's not a stepping stone to Cheltenham or anything like it while you know the the timing is such that it can be a hor- like a horse can run here and can then can improve and go on to Cheltenham but um, you know people have been targeting this meeting for months out so yeah no it's a, it's, it should be a big weekend now Great, looking forward to it. We'll be chatting um, about it a little bit later on. Jane Mangle will join us as well. Now, though, we're going to turn our attention to boxing and Gavin Casey joins us now on the line. Gavin, it's one of those days where if you put anything up on social media at all, your replies are going to be filled with people with varying opinions on um, on your on your opinion. So basically, for anyone that hasn't been following the Crow Park and Katie Taylor story today, it emerged overnight 
tonight that Katie Taylor would not be fighting in Crow Park because of um, a financial issue. Um, Eddie Hearn was on a podcast. He said that it was too expensive and uh, they wouldn't be going there. Instead, there'd be, it looks like they could be going to the three arena. But then today, Peter McKenna, the commercial director of Crow Park, was out talking to the media and he said that it's um, a security issue that neither them nor Eddie Hearn um, are prepared to pay the bill for that. So there's a lot going on. Um, Gavin, you were one of the first people to write about it this morning. Is there Has there been any developments and did I sum it up okay there? Yeah, you did a better job than I'm probably about to do, Marie. In all honesty, my head is fried <laughs> from so. the whole thing. Why not try and trash it out on national radio, I guess? But um, it, that is the crux of it. There, there's, uh, there are certainly conflicting um, mm-hmm. stories coming from both parties. Uh, Peter McKenna today rejected Eddie Hearn's claims that Croke Park is three times more expensive than Wembley Stadium to rent mm-hmm. out for uh, an event of this magnitude, a, a boxing event of this size uh, and cultural significance. And uh, I know I've heard from Matchroom um, privately, but in a fashion in which they don't mind my divulging that they dispute McKenna's uh, disputing of what <laughs> had been said initially. And like, uh, so McKenna outlined today that um, the cost of rental or, excuse me, the rental charge for use of Croke Park was uh, €400,000. Um, Matchroom contend basically that the rent, quote-unquote, was, well, the rent that Peter McKenna cites was part of a, a bigger initial overall charge. So that would have amounted to something in the region of, of maybe just under €600,000 with additional uh, fees on top of that rental charge. And then uh, Matchroom contend as well that, uh, a few days later, they were they issued further costs, operational charges, things like people working at the turnstiles, operating elevators, all of the kind of minutiae involved in uh, an event of that magnitude. And that basically the overall cost to them would amount to somewhere in excess of €1 million Euro and not uh, 400000 say, as Peter McKenna outlined earlier. Now, in fairness to McKenna, he also stressed that there would have been additional security costs, as you mentioned there, and really, I think it's the, it's the cost of these security mm-hmm. measures um, that would be in place for all sorts of events like this that are a, a bone of contention, but I don't believe the whole thing uh, has hinged on them. I don't believe, for example, that they make up the rest of that total cost, or let, let's call it an alleged total cost for now. They make up a portion of it, but but certainly not um, not the difference, say, between 400 grand and, and, and somewhere in the region of a million euro over that, in fact. So... Um, one of the things that Matrim were hoping for would be, like I should stress, my understanding w- was that Matrim were willing to, to pay security. They always knew that it was going to be an issue in Dublin. It's going to be expensive here anyway. And just, again, for a, a stadium fight with 80-odd thousand people in attendance, they hoped you're going to need a lot of mm. uh, a big security presence. And then there's the separate issue of policing as well. That's where Matrim hoped that the Irish government might... Um, be, be proactive, I guess, in their involvement in that. Obviously, there's precedent for the government um, subventing and supplementing sports events. They did it quite recently for the Women's Irish Golf Open last year in Dromolan Castle. And while it, people at home might have this impression that Eddie Hearn wanted a handout from the Irish taxpayer in order to get the event over the line, I guess it was Matrim's intention that it would be a little bit more indirect than that, whereby the government might use their relationship with the GAA, um, 
treat this uh, fight as almost like an All-Ireland final, in which case they might have a, a financial involvement in the policing of the event, for example, or that they might ease some of the costs without uh, directly paying Eddie Hearn or, or lining his pockets as it's maybe being depicted in some corners of the internet today. So, as you say, plenty going on. Uh, hopefully <laughs> hopefully that made a little bit of sense to your listeners as well. It did. Now, I think it's fair as well to say that it's a bit of a war of words over the last 24 hours um, or so. So I think we might we may as well listen to some of them. So let's start with um, Eddie Hearn. He was speaking to the Ariel Helwani podcast last night. The cost of hire, the cost of, you know, everything involved with the event is three times nearly more than staging at Wembley Stadium. It's unbelievable and it's so frustrating. Um, can you argue, though, that it's worth it? You can, but, like, people will just tweet me and go, shut up, Hearn, just do it anyway. Yeah. So it doesn't work like that. It's a business. Ultimately, Katie Taylor has uh, financial demands for this fight. Right. So does Amanda Serrano. And we want to make sure we deliver them that. But we're so far out on that possibility with the cost of running that show that now, and we're out of time in terms of delivering that date to the broadcaster, we've got to move. So now we'll be in a big arena in Dublin, subject to uh, Serrano sure, winning sure, sure. and subject to tying up a deal. And then hopefully in September, we revisit Croke Park. But it's like, you know, it's frustrating. But at the same time, I promised Katie Taylor would be in Ireland for her next fight. It will be the most sensational atmosphere wherever we are. But we'll see what happens on Saturday night. So is Croke Park dead? Yeah. Uh, and would it but be... now? Yes. Would it be three arena? Quite possibly, yeah. Right, that's where Connor fought. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it will be... I've been there. It's yeah, tremendous. It's, yeah. it's just not Croke Park. No, it's, it's not. But sooner or later, you have to make a decision. You know, you have to make a move. And the move is we want to go May 20th. That's the date. And unless we go now, it's going to be another moment that we miss a fight for Katie in Ireland. And I'm not prepared to do it anymore. So we keep working towards Grote Park, you know, maybe Taylor Serrano 3 in September. Right. But for now, her next fight will be in, in uh, Ireland. She'll be at the show on Saturday. And, you know, if Serrano was to win, it looks like almost certain that we'd get that rematch in Ireland. So that was Eddie Hearn. Then Peter McKenna was speaking to the media today. He is the commercial director of Crow Park. Let's hear from him. The real issue here is about uh, security costs, which we felt that the promoter should, should carry. And having gone through this with the statutory services and our own team, we looked at a risk analysis on the event and we found that the amount of security that you'd need here would be at the top level. Um, and that is not inexpensive. So um, I think maybe... There's a worry that they wouldn't quite get the attendance um, and also the costs associated with hosting an event at a certain standard that we, you know, we would be very proud that we would hold to. Um, let's call it a little bit of jitters. Peter McKenna, McKenna there uh, speaking to the media earlier. Gavin, do you think there are concerns that they wouldn't get the attendance? Absolutely. I think Eddie Hearn would be within his rights to have those concerns. And if they didn't get the attendance... And he's taking a bath on the event, ultimately. This is why he wanted some sort of safety net from the government or at least involvements to take some of the edge off the cost uh, and to minimise his potential risk. And as much as Katie Taylor is an absolute star in this country and, again, a, a kind of a revered cultural figure, someone who exists almost beyond sport at this point, Ireland has never had a tradition of people attending major boxing mm -hmm. events. It, it, it has a really proud boxing tradition as an Olympic sport and certainly as a professional sport as well but there isn't a, a massive latent interest in boxing uh, you think back to 1972 20,000 people show up in Croke Park to watch Muhammad Ali and half of them jump the gate you know so and no I should stress like with Taylor 
Um, with the, I guess, the promotion around this prospective event, with the fact that it is one of our own, so to speak, and I think it would have been a different story. I, I don't think that they would have been like struggling to break, say, 50k. I actually think they had an opportunity to sell it out, but ultimately the way it would work is that with the costs involved of costs involved in renting out uh, Croke Park or any large stadium. You'd want to be nearly clearing about 50,000 before you break even. So there's not a huge deal of wiggle room between 50 and, say, uh, the 80,000 capacity um, for this to be a profit-making exercise to begin with. And there's probably cause for concern that maybe you don't break the 50, at least if you were to be conservative about it. So um, I, I, I absolutely agree. Like, Or, excuse me, I, I think Hearn would be within his rights to have those concerns and yet I can understand how people listening to me at home might think it sounds insane that Katie Taylor wouldn't sell out Crow Park where, I don't know, Garth Brooks does it X number of times. And the interesting thing, just to, just to finish that point, Marie, is like you can kind of gain an understanding now as to why massive musical acts tend to play more than once at Crow Park or at massive stadiums. It's because the infrastructural costs of staging, uh, say, a concert in that case, are quite large. Uh, but when you have those accounted for, it's night two and night three yeah. where you make most of your money. Unfortunately, with boxing, that isn't an option. Yeah, big time. I think that's and even like finding out how much Crow Park costs to rent as well. Like that's just an added bonus because I always wondered about that. But just on the the selling out of it and um, Gav, you might be able to, to uh, clear this up for me. So we've both been to see her fight in, in the last while and one thing that stood out for me was that if you have it on too late if you have a fight at 10 o'clock at night it's not really family f- friendly can you have both like can you have Katie Taylor fighting in a big stadium at a time that is more family friendly that you would bring your kids along to or is that ruled out because of the time difference and, and wanting to try and hit the US markets a bit I think for the US market, it's almost irrelevant whether it would take place at like 8 p.m. or 10 p.m. because it's going to be an afternoon show in the US anyway. And I, I was led to understand that the zone were more than um, acknowledging of the reality that it couldn't be on too late in Ireland. I guess for whatever reason, mm-hmm. boxing events do tend to run beyond 10 p.m. I know for certain that, say, Taylor's manager, Brian Peters, who, who was working a lot, in the background on this prospective event was incredibly keen for it to be a family-friendly event. I don't know that it wouldn't, would have necessarily meant that it would have happened much earlier in the night, but certainly there were plans in place, say, tentative plans in place for, like, family tickets, um, almost like uh, family entertainment, things like that, maybe maybe whole sections of the stadium where you could bring kids, etc., and that it would be a very sort of a festive atmosphere yeah. rather than a typical boxing event. So I, I, I guess... I mean, it's, it sounds pretty stupid, but like it would have depended on parents and how late they, mm. they want their kids to stay out. Well, for I did bring a 10-year-old to Ed Sheeran and I had to wake him up when it was over. So <laughs> right. <laughs> it, when it does get late and they've been up all day, it, 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 is, it is quite tricky. Um, yeah. But Gav, like one thing that really stood out for me in your piece today was the fact that you said that um, Jack Chambers was more supportive of this event than um, the government have been since the cabinet reshuffle. Yeah, now Thomas Byrne, who's the current sports minister, has been in touch with me to dispute that and I think he addressed it in the Doyle earlier. Um, so he, he, he 
basically thinks I was wrong on that and I'd mm. accept that maybe I was uh, that I, maybe I misinterpreted the information that I was given there in actual fact I know that for sure like there has been communication between the current government and, and Matrim for example I would suggest that the cabinet reshuffle in December did probably detract from the momentum of mm-hmm. the event and yeah. that there had just been more constructive um, meetings even in person between Matrim and the government as far back as last May in the aftermath of the original Serrano fight in New York so like Thomas Byrne I'm sure has, has made his own efforts um, in terms of communicating with Matchroom but probably a lot of the groundwork that had been done in advance of that by the previous government uh, has been lost or, or again that momentum has been lost so I think uh, we've had a piece with Thomas since on the 42 today and he has stressed that there is still a, a will for the government to support the event in some way Obviously, there are now time constraints with May sort of creeping up on us. Um, it's interesting in the clip that you mentioned earlier, or the clip you played earlier of Eddie Hearn uh, speaking to Ariel Helwani Marie, where he continues to cite a potential September date and yeah. the idea that Taylor could come back in September. Like, that's absolutely categorically not going to be the case. Um, I think if she fights in Dublin, it'll happen once. But even more pertinently, if she was to fight in in Dublin and then to return to Croke Park, Serrano was the only opponent really that mm. would make sense where you would have a chance of selling at the stadium to my mind just because of her name recognition, because of the jeopardy involved in a fight of that size, because of how good Serrano actually is. And the reality is if Katie Taylor beats Amanda Serrano twice, which are which is currently the plan, then you wouldn't obviously bring Serrano back for what would be a third fight between them, right? So, um, so why is he saying is that then? I'm not really sure, in all honesty. Um, I, I would suggest that he might see a situation in which Serrano isn't actually the next opponent, and that particularly if you're going to the three okay. arena where you have to sell about 9,000 tickets, which should be easy, even if the tickets are going to be vastly more expensive than they would have been uh, at Croke Park, that maybe the, just the opponent isn't quite as important or it doesn't mm-hmm. need to be a, a replica of those amazing scenes that we saw in yeah. New York last spring and that maybe you could come back to Croker to do Serrano at a later date. I just really don't foresee a, a situation in which that happens. I think Ireland will be a, a one and done stop for, for Matchroom and for Taylor. I hope it's Serrano. Um, and yeah, if it's the three arena, I keep thinking to myself that it's amazing to find yourself in a situation where a, a Taylor homecoming would feel anticlimactic. But I also have to remind myself that if the moment does occur that she walks out of the three arena in front of thousands of Irish fans, it probably won't feel anticlimactic mm. at all. It'll still be pretty special. Yeah, it's I just, just um, yeah, at the moment it does feel like a, a little bit of a letdown on paper, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I think it's because it's going to be so hard to get tickets as well. And there are so many people that will want to go and see her and, you know, just show her that respect, show her that love. Um, she's given us so many great days and to think that only 9,000 people will get in for that moment or else you can pay your DAZN subscription, like you're not going to get it. Um, and now that you've said that perhaps it might not be Serrano, I hadn't actually thought about that. So you've just taken the gloss completely off it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and, and like, you know, in all honesty, that's, I'm theorising there. Yeah, but know? it makes sense um, though. It's not necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does. Because you... like what, 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 what we have to take into the equation as well is that uh, now I understand that Serrano has, has agreed a contract yeah. to a Taylor rematch. Now, she has a really big fight going up in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Excuse me, on Saturday night, September. I knew my head was melted. <laughs> uh, she's fighting for the undisputed featherweight title against Erica Cruz. And she has to come through that firstly before 
a rematch comes to fruition. But I would imagine that the deal she signed was predicated upon this happen- the rematch happening at Croke Park, and there were probably clauses in there that would have included, like, bonuses, say, in the event that the stadium sold out, etc. So yeah. there will probably have to be a return to the negotiation table, even if it's only to um, amend some smaller details of that contract. And I just wonder if it feels like a come down to her and if maybe um, it doesn't feel as financially lucrative or doesn't read as being financially lucrative, uh, maybe she might have second thoughts. Again, it's it's pure conjecture at this yeah, point. But, but she's had second uh, thoughts before. Like She hasn't been as committed in the past to this. <laughs> so. Well, that's exactly it. She's pretty difficult to to actually nail down at a, yeah. it, to a given location at the best of times. So, uh, and look again, uh, it's often her managers uh, or her yeah. management team that sort of act on her behalf in that regard. I'm, I'm pretty sure Serrano is keen to fight Katie Taylor wherever it happens. But I guess she'll want to be sure that she's making the same amount mm-hmm. of money, right? And if there are fewer tickets on sale at the three arena, for example, or if the bonuses have to be amended or removed or whatever, then she'll probably need uh, the fee guaranteed up front um, and just a couple of adjustments there. And I'm just saying that that could be cause for things to go wrong. They certainly have with Serrano in the past. Yeah. She, uh, she's been uh, she's backed out or not been as committed is probably the best way to put it and look she knows what she can get she knows her own value as well and she also knows that um, the value that Katie has here and the importance of her and um, what the crowd that she can draw so it would, would feel like really a waste to just have them in front of 9,000 people in the three arena just because we've been there Gav so we know how good it can be and uh, the show that the, they are capable of putting on when are we going to get clarity in all of this when can we start trying to buy tickets to whatever we're going to be buying tickets for. Oh, yeah, I don't have a clue to answer your question, honestly. I was led to believe there would be an announcement next week and that, you know, I think there were initial plans for a press conference in New York on Monday, something in Dublin maybe midweek. I would say that those are, you know, I'd say those are on the rocks for the moment. And it's not that, you know, this it's not that the homecoming itself is falling apart. I think there's just a little bit of a realignment and, and readjustments going on. And, and maybe some of the parties involved are actually as far as is possible, because a lot of them are actually currently in New York uh, in as part of Serrano's fight week, are maybe just taking a, a step back to think, okay, like, do we really want to burn the bridges here? Do we want to continue mm-hmm. with this sort of finger pointing back and forth? Is there a way of getting people around the table again and trying to thrash this out, perhaps even moving the date? Um, again, it's all theoretical, but uh, I couldn't give you a concrete yeah. timeline as to when we'll have confirmation now. Whereas if you'd asked me yesterday, I would have said, yeah, they'll probably announce a rematch on Saturday night if Serrano wins and probably host some press stuff next week. Uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm not so sure. It'll be interesting to see if Katie or Brian Peters or Eddie now pops up in the media over the next few days because they're obviously around all of the media so there'll be microphones um, in their faces and we will wait to hear what they have to say. Gav, thank you so much. Um, Enjoy all of the uh, social media attention that you're getting because uh, it's been pretty relentless all day. Thanks, Marie. I think I have one more radio thing to do, but then I'm going to bin my phone <laughs> altogether at this point. Uh, good move, Gav. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye bye. Game on on 2FM. Oh, welcome back. As that ad just told us, it is Six Nations weekend. Um, it begins with Ireland and Wales. Well, it begins for Ireland against Wales. Bernard Jackman joins us now on the line. Bernard, it feels a bit low key. Yeah, it does. But I think today, you know, seeing couple of late changes obviously tight furlong 
um, is out for Ireland, that calf injury that has kept him out of Leinster for the last period of time mm-hmm. that we thought was going to come right just hasn't. Um, uh, he hasn't pulled through, and you know that's a big opportunity for Finley Bealham um, and um, Young O'Toole from Ulster, and obviously Ro- Roman Salanoa is, is is on his way out to to meet the squad. I think he's going to meet them in Cardiff, and he'll be 24th man. So the problem for for us now is you know if Ty Furlong's calf isn't ready to play this Saturday, will he be fit next week for yeah. France? And you know we've seen Leinster scrum suffer a little bit without him, so you know that's a big blow to Ireland, and it's a big boost to Wales and, and well particularly if, if we can get through Wales France next week because that's an area that they're very strong in and obviously you know the Welsh team Lee Halfpenny's pulled out and Liam Williams come in there so we're starting to I think the, the excitement tomorrow will, will build and, and once we get up and running um, for the next six or seven weeks it'll be it'll be uh, all six nations Yeah full steam ahead well you mentioned there um, about Tyke Ferlin and Finley Bealham uh, coming in from Andy Farrell was asked about them today let's hear from him um, He's not quite ready. In fact, he's 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 uh, progressing pretty well, you know. Um, but he's he's not quite there yet. He he could possibly be there in the next few days or a week or whatever. But we just think that Finlay deserves it as well. He's um, playing some outstanding rugby at this moment in time. In the last game he played, he scored a hat trick, um, scrummaging uh, very well, etc. So he deserves his start. And uh, Tiger will um, keep working away to be fit, hopefully for for the French game. He's been playing good rugby for a, for, a, for a good while now, but coming back from the autumn or, or any camp that he's been in with us, he's always had that, that trust uh, from us. us. He's a massive personality within our squad, you know, he's very popular. But coming out of the autumn, coming out of the autumn and how that translates going back into Connacht and his performances since then has, has, has been top draw. Are you a little bit concerned? Andy Farrell sounded a little bit concerned there. Look, I think Bielema has been really good. I, I think he's probably one of the most improved um, players in Irish rugby um, and a little bit underrated. Um, and when he's come in to do a job for Tyke Furlong, he, he's done it really well. So, yeah, I don't think he'll be exposed this week, but I would I would have worries um, if we have to play France without Tyke Furlong. Maybe not when Philly Bielema's on the field, but the last 20... Um, that's when they start to bring on, mm-hmm. you know, big powerful men, and, and it could be an area that opposition will try and ex- exploit. I think this week we're quite lucky. Wales didn't go for their best scrummage in Lucid, Nicky Smith, um, and that's probably, you know, uh, I'd say with Gatlin, if he had a thought if Tyke Fordham wasn't played, he may have readdressed that. But you know, they, we should be okay at, at scrum time. I think on Saturday. Okay, so the other questions around uh, positions was uh, Stuart McCluskey and whether or not he would get in ahead of Bundy Aki. Um, he has got in and look, Farrell always says he does reward people on form and he's doing it again. Yeah, he has in this situation for sure. Um, McCluskey obviously has been going quite well in, a, in an Ulster team that had a little dip there over Christmas and into early January. Um, but he was probably one of the players who consistently played well and obviously Bundy hasn't really played he played um, against Ulster over Christmas but has been frozen out a little bit of Connacht so that is a, a form um, form call and I think McCluskey showed enough in November um, to warrant a, another shot I think we know what Bundy Aki can do we know what Robbie Henshaw can do the, the two I suppose decisions are around McCluskey um, who obviously has strong form for a long time for Ulster but hasn't really had many opportunities for Ireland and then young Jamie Osborne, um, I wonder would he get a chance this Six Nations to show what he can do because what he's shown for Leinster has, has been very impressive. Do you think he will get a chance? I think Italy maybe, 
But uh, mm-hmm. again, it's going to be a race then to. Um, he probably needs to get a couple of injuries to get enough game time to really be a serious contender for for that World Cup squad. Um, so you know, I think hopefully Robbie will come back for the second half of the, the Six Nations. Then you know, you'd imagine Farrell will want to have a look at Aki as well. So maybe tight for him to get you know a run of games. Yeah, well, look, there is a, there's a huge amount of focus on Wales and um, the fact that Warren Gatland has taken over and that things are a little bit different. Uh, Andy Farrell reckons that it's a free shot for Wales. Let's hear him. Well, I, I know that's exactly what they're thinking. Uh, you know, I, I don't know about a free shot. You know, free shot in, in Test Match Rugby, where'd you get them from, you know? Um, we'd all love to be able to buy one of those, but maybe I'll buy him a free shot after the game. Um, but... You know, there's absolutely no doubt knowing, knowing Warren, he'll expect his side to win. And so, and so do I, I expect our side to win, you know. So he, um, his, his past track record shows, shows what he's about in this competition, doesn't it, you know. So finding a way to win has is, is, is always been the key to his teams and uh, we're very aware of that. Bernard, the Welsh approach is going to be quite difficult to analyse, though, because of the changes that ha- that uh, Gatland has made, and and just the fact that he's going to bring something different, just being himself. Yeah, I look at that, but I, I think we we all expect um, Gatland to tighten things up in in Wales and give them um, a real simple game plan, uh, um, and that's the philosophy. He he's got a huge amount of success out of Wales. They were kind of lost between you know the old Warren game plan and and what Pivac said he was going to do at the start but didn't really implement properly and there was that lack of clarity and I think you know Gatlin has been very clear about you know good set piece good launch uh, physical uh, physicality and then you know good defence and, and good kicking game and looking to put Ireland under pressure I think from contestables and uh, ironically Lee Halfman he have Halfway pulled out today and he was named to play but I actually think they're stronger with Liam Williams coming in um, and you know Rio Dyer is a, is a young winger that I've worked with in, in uh, Dragons he's you know only a couple of caps but he's incredibly quick good in the air um, and uh, and they will look to target Mac Hansen James Lowe onto the high ball and you know if they can get some energy back from that if they can force some knock-ons in the air if they can catch some um, some of those contestables and get in the front foot you know the, the Principality Stadium will will get up behind them, so I think it's really important that we start well, um, and just snuff out any potential energy they're going to get from the crowd, but also kind of impose our game on them because there will be a bit more confidence because of Gatland, but underneath of all that, you know, Welsh rugby's in turmoil. A lot of these players playing don't know where their future is. They haven't got contracts for next year. The vast majority of them, um, and you know, Gatland hasn't had a huge amount of time. So I think if we can be accurate from the start. Um, I, I think that would be go a long way towards winning the game. Whereas if we if we let them build momentum, it could be a really difficult you know afternoon for us. How much of an edge does uh, playing in Cardiff, or how much of a, a bonus is it for Wales? Well, look, it's massive. In the Six Nations, we haven't won there in ten years, um, and you know they do feed off that. They it's the biggest it's the biggest thing in, in, in town. Six Nations rugby in the spring in in Cardiff and. Um, like these players don't play in front of big crowds for the regions they rarely in in knockout rugby um, so the international game becomes everything and to be fair under Gatland they've had a lot of success uh, more success than maybe you would imagine they should have given the how poor the, the regions have done so he has this Midas touch but the only issue I would say is that he doesn't have Sean Edwards he doesn't have Rob mm-hmm. McBride he doesn't have Rob, Rob Howley so that he has to now try and I suppose blend a new coaching staff 
get them to understand how he operates. Um, and he has a, you know, he's a, he's a, he's his own way of operating. Um, and that's going to be a challenge. But having said that, he he has a corp of players like Ken Owens, Adam Beard, Adam Wynn Jones, Justin Tipperick, Falatau, Dan Bigger, George North, who've been with him all the way through. So they know what he wants, what he likes, how he wants to play. So um, it's interesting. He has gone for a very old team. Um, that he hopes will get him to the World Cup, and then he said he'll he'll break it up and and build for the next one. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fascinating because I guess in Wales there will be a huge amount of expectation on the team now with him coming in, but it'll be nothing compared to the expectation that's on this Ireland team, just given their form. You know, most of their players are fit, um, and obviously they're carrying that tag of uh, number one in the world. How do you think they're going to handle it all? Look, at I think they. I'd like to hope that they will perform under the pressure. Uh, um, it seems all the sound bites coming out is that mentally they're comfortable, that they're not getting carried away, be number one in the world. But there's that expectation and pre- and pressure internally to get better game by game. And this is a game that's winnable for them. It's a, it's it's a tough one, but it's winnable. And I don't think I don't think that psychologically. We, if we, you know, the psychological pressure will cost us the, the match. I think it's about being accurate and imposing our game. And what we become good at is, you know, winning tight games. Um, and we saw that in the autumn against Australia and South Africa. And these Six Nations games are, are generally pretty tight. So, and having Sexton there, maybe Murray to come off the bench um, to close it out, I think could be could be crucial. Yeah, and ha- having the roof closed as well will probably, I guess, it will just add to the test that going to come their way and they need all the tests they can get in this year I'd say Bernard No they do for sure and like the, the atmosphere will be you know incredible but that's what's going to be like in France at, mm-hmm. at the World Cup the roof close obviously brings a unique element to it some of these players won't have played um, you know on, underneath a closed roof before in, in, in the Principality but it should suit Ireland because Ireland our team want to play high tempo move the ball around and I think that you would have polar opposite styles you'd have Wales who are looking to um, to play the percentages, you know, make it stop start, um, and Ireland will be looking to to play with a little bit of flow, and, and it is certainly going to be easier to do that, you know, with the roof closed and, and, and a dry ball. Okay, give us a prediction then, Bernard. I think Ireland. I think the bookies have a ten points. I think it'll be closer than that. I'd say Ireland by five. Okay, thank you so much for joining us. Thank Enjoy you. it, and we'll chat to you. Game on on two FM. Welcome back. It is time to talk about the Dublin Racing Festival, which is on this weekend. Don McLean is with me in studio and Jane Mangan joins me on the line. We're going to have a quick run through of all of the big races. Jane, I'm going to start with you because you've just joined us. And we're going to start with the Paddy Power Irish Gold Cup, which takes place on Saturday. What should we be looking out for here? The main headline at Marie is, is Gallopin de Champ. There's no doubt about it. We had the Cotswold chase at Cheltenham last week that kind of threw a few spanners in the in the Gold Cup works. Well, Gallopin de Champ is the anti-post favourite for the big race at Cheltenham and he's been long anti-post favourite for this race. He's the horse that was unlucky at Cheltenham last year. He made a re- reappearance over two and a half miles in the John Dirk in a Punchestown where he beat Fakir Duderiz, who's a good horse. He beat him 13 lengths. So the big question mark is the three miles and the three miles plus whether he'll stay, but he looks awesome. He's always looked awesome since he went over fences. And while Statler, Kemboy, Franco Deport, any second now, Fury Road of the big dogger, talented horses, if this guy's to win Cheltenham, he'd have to be winning on Saturday. Would you agree, Don? Yeah, look, he's he's a he's a very exciting horse, Marie. He's he would have 
been he would be unbeaten over fences if he hadn't fallen at the last as Jane was saying in the Turners chase at Cheltenham last March and he looked very good in the John Durkin the John Durkin chase was his first step out of novice company he was obviously a novice last season and the John Durkin chase was the first time stepping into open waters and he took the step readily I suppose yeah that, that, the, the one unknown I guess is about his stamina but he won a grade one race over three miles over hurdles and he's just got so much pace he jumps well as well for a relatively inexperienced horse over fences and yeah look he's he's a he's he's the, the headline act for Saturday for sure like Statler ran well the last day at Tremor over a trip that's probably on the sharp side for him he won the National Hunt Chase at Chatham last March and he was giving £8 to Manila Indo he ran him to a neck at Tremor last time so he should come forward from that but yeah it's it's Gallop and Deschamps he's just one of the most exciting horses in training Let's stay with Saturday and the Goffs Irish Arkle novice Chase will all eyes be unappreciated Don? Yeah like he's a, again another exciting horse of Willie Mullins and that'll be a theme that'll run <laughs> through the weekend um, but appreciated he's a wee bit late going over fences because he just had a bit of a setback early last season and Willie Mullins kept him over hurdles last year he ran in the champion hurdle down the field behind Honeysuckle but he's a supreme novice's hurdle winner from two seasons ago and his two runs of offences this season have been very, very good. His jumping have, has been good. So, look, he's a he's a big player. I think Banbridge is interesting against him, Joseph O'Brien's horse. he I thought he would be a horse who would be maybe stepping out in trip after he won the Martin Pipe Hurdle at Cheltenham last March. But he showed a lot of pace to win the Arkle trial at Cheltenham in November. And he was beaten last time in the Drinmore chase, but the ground just might have been a wee bit soft from that day. And on better ground at Leopardstown, that should suit him better. But, yeah, he could be the one to give appreciate it most to do. Jane? I concur. I think Appreciated is the supreme novices hurdle winner. And while he missed a year, uh, we only time, the only time we saw him last year was when he actually went, ran the champion hurdle at Cheltenham. Uh, he, ha- he is a point of point winner and he's taken well to fencing in these two stars that we've seen. A lot of people maybe thought that we'd see him up and trip, but the fact that they're staying at the Arkle distance suggests that he still has the pace that he showed in the supreme. Uh, I'm interested to see Dysart Dynamo. He's a little bit of a tear away. Danny Mullins is on him. He was obviously facile when we saw him at Leopardstown over Christmas. El Fabiolo, very lightly raced horse, um, a classy novice's hurdler and, and he did nothing wrong in his chase debut. And of course, the horse we haven't mentioned is San Roa. The horse actually won the grade one at Christmas, uh, the race that Fieldor made that bad mistake in. Fieldor will have the company of cheek pieces for the first time, a tongue strap for the first time. And of course, Davy Russell crucially as well aboard oh, yeah. while Jack Kennedy is, is away. And Don, what about the Nathaniel Lacey and Partners Solicitors Novice Hurdle also on Saturday? Is it Goodland the one to watch? Yeah, he probably is, Marie. It's, this is a, a pretty open race, actually. Goodland was very good last time. It was only a maiden hurdle that he won, but he won it well. That was two and a half miles. The Nathaniel Lacey race is two miles six, so he has to step out and trip. And his trainer, Barry Connell, is just having a really, really good season with his horses. Michael O'Sullivan, his rider, he's having a great season as well. Of course, it's a grade one race, so Michael O'Sullivan can't claim five pounds in it. But he's done that before. He's ridden graded races before without his five pounds claim. So Goodland is an exciting horse. It's interesting, I think, that Paul Townend is riding Quai de Paris in front of Grange Clare West mm-hmm. for Willie Mullins. And Quai de Paris, was, he was a long odds on when he went to Tremor on New Year's Day. But it, it is interesting because Grange Clare West is a classy horse. He was beaten last time in the Grade One race at at Nace, the Lawlers, the Lawlers of Nace race, and but he was found to be a wee bit wrong after that. So I'm interested to see how he goes now uh, on a bit of a recovery mission. Sander Clegan for Paul Nolan as well. He's an exciting horse who won his maiden hurdle impressively. So it's an open race. Uh, I thought Goodland might have been a wee bit bigger than he is. He's favourite. 
But I think the, the most interesting part is the fact that Paul Tannen is on Cade Perry. Yeah, Jane, no doubt there's a reason for that. There is, yeah. I think Grange Clare West is trying to be coughing post-race and uh, that can be indicative of, uh, obviously, a health issue. So it's not surprising that Paul Townend has maybe opted for the horse that has a little more untapped potential. I'm excited to see American Mike back in that race. We haven't seen him since November 27th when he was a bad second behind Dawn rising the Monksfield hurdle at Navan. He jumped appallingly that day. He's so much better than we've seen and I think... If we go back to his bumper form, he could be the forgotten horse in that 120 on, on Saturday. Jane, on to Sunday now in the Chanel Pharma Irish Champion Hurdle. If Honeysuckle isn't going to win, I don't want to know about it. Uh, well, if she does win, the house will come down because <laughs> I know the crowds um, are going to swarm to Leopardstown. We've, I've been listening to you guys talking about Crow Park selling out for Katie Taylor. Well, Honeysuckle has been our Katie Taylor in equine form for the last couple of years, and she's only got one blot on her copybook. And we've seen since she got beaten in the in the Hatton's Grace over two and a half miles. Let's just be clear: she is a two mile specialist. She's a speedy mare. She got beaten by a horse called Tahupo, who has now gone favoured for the stairs at Cheltenham. Uh, I know Classical Dream was second, but they're two stout stairs. That was over two and a half miles on soft ground at uh, Fairy House. Maybe it's a case where we look back and say she got outstayed. She's back now, heading, trying to make it four in a row in the Irish Champion Hurdle. She faces new opposition with Stateman and Vauban. And yes, Stateman has actually been given a rating superior to her off 167, but she still receives seven pounds off him. So... With Rachel Blackmore aboard, she will be the the horse that everybody will want to see. And of course, you know she's been she's been our star. So I I think if that came up, that would be the result of the weekend. Don, when a horse has done it a few times in a row, does that matter? Does that come into play? Ah, it, like the fact that she's done it before, Marie, three times. Um, it's a positive because mm-hmm. she's proven over the track, proven over the distance, and I fully agree with Jane. Like the. The Hatton's Grace hurdle was over two and a half miles on soft ground and it just may be that she got to the end of her tether given the trip on her seasonal debut as well. It was her first run since the spring and, you know, people said just because she got beaten, like it was, it was going to happen. She'd won 16 times before that. It was her first <laughs> defeat in 17 races, which she's just... What about the fairy tale? Yeah, well, the fairy tale is she bounces back mm. and wins the Irish Champion hurdle again, wins it for the fourth time and I think there's every chance she will because... Rachel Blackmore and Henry de Brom had the boat reporter in good form and you know just because she's got beaten people have kind of gone off her a little bit maybe but I, I just think not that there us. are excuses not us here yeah no not, <laughs> not us and Tiapu as Jane said is a very very good horse he won the Galmoy hurdle next time he's very good on soft ground he's favoured for the stairs hurdle now and you know time may show that it wasn't a bad run by Honeysuckle on her seasonal debut mm-hmm. over two and a half miles on soft ground and back at Leopardstown where she's proven we know that she loves Leopardstown and the crowds like last year they applauded her out of the parade ring it never happened yeah. when she was going out onto the racetrack and then when she came back a winner and into the winner's enclosure it was just the atmosphere was phenomenal and it'd be great to see that again it would uh, Jane before we get on to the rest of Sundays I just want to finish up on Saturday because I didn't mention the Donoghue Marquis Spring Juvenile Hurdle um, will it be Willie Mullins again? It'll be Willie Mullins one, two, three, four, maybe even five <laughs> he's got six of the eight runners and this is a race that's thrown up the last two Triumph Hurdle winners Colixios and Vauban have won it for the last two years Paul Town and 
would have had the choice, but no surprises that he goes with Lossy Mouth. The mare that is three from three. She won the night Frank at Leopardstown over Christmas. She beat Gala Marceau, who reopposes, but she beat him seven lengths. Um, and it's it's very hard to oppose her. There's a couple of horses in there, like Jour de Fete, Takao, who was a winner at Leopardstown over Christmas, um, and Gust of Wind, who's first run for the yard in grade one company after coming from France. Henry de Bromhead's got ascending in there, who made a, pr- a promising start to his hurdle. Um, his hurdle career when he was second to cow, but it's hard to look past Lossie Mouse. She is at this stage a lot of people's anti post banker for the triumph hurdle. And while I think the main uh, rival to her will come from within, Blood Destiny doesn't line up here and we won't see him here. So for me, it's Lossie Mouse, the same colours as Vauban, very hard to oppose. Don, let's move on to the Ladbrokes Dublin Chase. Blue Lord has won six of his seven chases to date and uh, seems to be in great form as well. Yeah, no, he, he was very good the last day, Marie. He, he probably, maybe before he won the last day at Leopardstown over Christmas, people, me included, were thinking he might step out and trip. He could be a two and a half mile horse, but he showed so much pace the last day. He was very good in winning and he's a long odds on shot for the Dublin Chase. Again, it's a, it's a fairly small field, or it's going to be a fairly small field. I suppose his, his main market, or his main rival, is his main market rival, Gentleman de May. And like, he's been beaten in his three runs this season so far, but he was so good in winning the Maggle Chase at Aintree back in the spring when he beat Edwardston, who had won the Arkle, and he beat him well. If he could bounce back to that type of form, he could give Blue Lord a real race. And it looks like So Royal is going to come over as well. He's also, like Blue Lord, owned by Samuel Muneer and Isaac Suede. So it's good that he's coming over from Britain. He's he's 11 years old now. It's hard to see that he'd beat Blue Lord, but it's good that he's coming over. Jane, um, the Ladbrokes Novice Chase also on Sunday. Mighty Potter, the main event? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see him. We haven't seen him since uh, the Drinmore in November and he, he he's jumping left plenty to be desired. He showed his inexperience, but he managed to get the job done because he's such a big engine and he is so talented. But it's much, not that it's much hotter water. He beat a good field in the Drinmore. He beat Banbridge and he beat uh, Geyer de Menil, but he's going to face horses like James de Burley, an unknown quantity. He's got Geyer de Menil in there as well. Uh, again, adamantly chosen with second at Limerick. Um and probably we could see Churchstone Warrior as well but he is your likely favourite on the day uh, Davy Russell will be aboard him as well because he's Jack Kennedy's usual mount and uh, I think he's a very talented horse I was very impressed with what I saw at Fairy House and if he can reproduce that he'll be very hard to beat and on just finally then the Tattersalls Ireland novice hurdle and that is on Sunday as well Fasal Vega the one to watch there yeah like Fasal Vega he's a son of Covega who mm. was a remarkable mayor won six mayor's hurdles at the Cheltenham Festival six years in a row and Fasal Vega like he had a big billing to live up to given that he's her son but he won his four bumpers last last season, including the champion bumpers at Cheltenham and at Punchestown. He's won his two hurdle races this season, both pretty impressively. And yeah, look, High Definition is an interesting rival. He was trained by Aidan O'Brien in the flat. He won the Beresford Stakes. He finished second in the Tallis's Gold Cup. And he won on his hurdling debut at Leopardstown over Christmas. He jumped a wee bit to his right that day. So there is room for improvement in his jumping. But he's a classy horse off the flat. And if he can jump, just a wee bit better than he did the last day he could get close to Facil Vega but yeah Facil Vega sets a very high standard Okay uh, Jane that is all we have time for but very quickly give us one tip for the weekend uh, If Gaelic Warrior runs in the handicap I would be on him and if not I think Kean Cork taking £7 off maximum in the handicap on Saturday is a very attractive proposition And Don? Yeah Maxim Maxim is interesting there alright um, I'd say maybe at the prices um, Banbridge might run a wee bit better than his odds suggest 
Okay, I'll make notes. Uh, Jane Don, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take a very quick break. We still have to talk Tom Brady. Game on on 2FM. Good morning, guys. I'll get to the point right away. I'm retiring. We're good. I know the process uh, was a pretty big deal last time, so when I woke up this morning, I figured I'd just press record and let you guys know first, so I uh, won't be long-winded. You only get one super emotional retirement essay, and I used mine up last year, so I uh, really thank you guys so much to every single one of you for supporting me, my family, my friends, my teammates, my competitors. Uh, I could go on forever. There's too many. Um, thank you guys for allowing me to live my absolute dream. I wouldn't change a thing. Love you all. Tom Brady there announcing his retirement. Jeff Shepard joins us on the line. Jeff, I was so happy when his second sentence was, I'm going to get straight to the point. <laughs> I mean, look, I, Marie, I love the self-awareness of, you know what? Last year it was a whole thing, and it was a whole thing. When I came back, I'm just ready to just film this. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I mean, he literally, I think, just went and sat out on the beach and hit record. <laughs> I mean, he was sick of himself. On, right. But, I mean, imagine you're on vacation, and, you know, you're just sitting at the beach with your kids, and, hey, Ronaldo just retired, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, that's like the craziest thing. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, look, obviously, I mean, look, we've said all this before. We'll say it again. I mean, he's been the greatest to ever play the position, mm. um, you know, with with seven championships. And, uh, you know, he, he's got more rings than any one franchise does in, in total. Um, and so, you know, he's just been remarkable. Um, you know, and I, I think, Marie, it really boiled down to a, a, a couple of things. Um the Miami Dolphins reiterated last or said this earlier this week that they were committing to Tua. So that was one of the yeah. teams where I think he was interested in playing that said they weren't really interested in him. And then um, Sean Payton, the former Saints head coach, you know, there was rumors that maybe he might go wherever Sean Payton goes. Well, Sean Payton decides to go pl- to coach the Denver Broncos and they've got 200 and something million dollars tied up in Russell Wilson. So that was not really an option for Brady as well. And, San Francisco's got three or four quarterbacks they could potentially play, and he's from that Bay Area, but all of his children are on the East Coast, and I, I just don't think he wants to be that far away from his family. Um, so, you know, I mean, what more could he need to do? And, and he played till he was 45, and no one believed he I could know. do that in the first place, and so and he did that. So uh, 